This week, Reverend Wendy continues her series based on the Pema Chodron book, The Places That Scare You. Reverend Wendy talks about awakening joy in our lives. In this talk, Reverend Wendy presents four stages of cultivating joy in life, including learning to recognize and rejoice in our own good fortune. We have been exploring together for a few weeks now some of the teachings based in Pema Chodron Pema Chodron's book, The Places That Scare You. The Places That Scare You. And today we want to look at this idea of awakening joy in ourselves and how we might cultivate a greater capacity to intend joy to be awakened in others as well. There's no question, we're all in agreement, I think, that we are living in challenging times. But did you know that you signed up for these times? You did, so did I. Our souls signed up for these times and we are needed for these times. The consciousness that we bring, the consciousness we are evolving into is absolutely critical at these times. I don't know about you, but I, I do remember early in my religious background, I was raised Lutheran, I do remember early in my religious background that I had a lot of stereotypes about religious people and spiritual people and a part of the stereotype that I had about them was that they would be no fun to be around, that they would be very, very serious all of the time and that they wouldn't necessarily be very happy people. Anybody else have a bit of that? In fact, I, you know, it's a shame I'm wearing all black today, but I thought that must be why, you know, the nuns wore all black and the ministers wore all black because, you know, they just didn't express any creativity or any sense of joy. And yet, and yet, joy is a spiritual quality. Happiness is a situational experience. Think about that. Happiness really is a situational experience. There's nothing wrong with being happy because situations are to your choosing or pleasing. I mean, Disney created Disneyland, the happiest place on earth to create a situational experience of happiness. It's in some ways fabricated or man-made, if you will. It's certainly situational. Joy is a spiritual experience. Joy is. There's a reason we often hear the word joy associated some, with something within our soul, because joy is not situational. We can choose joy any moment, no matter what the circumstances are. Some moments are easier than other moments, but we can choose joy at any time. I'm reminded of three instances when I had the opportunity to be with His Holiness the Dalai Lama for our synthesis dialogues that the Association for Global New Thought convened, one in Dharamsala, India, one in Trent, uh, Italy, and one in Rome, Italy. And every time I was in the Dalai Lama's presence, I was confused by something. I was confused and inspired by the fact that this man whose people and whose country for all practical purposes has been annihilated by China, that he could still be bubbling with joy. He's an incredibly intelligent, not just wise and not just compassion, 
compassionate, but also incredibly intelligent. So it's not that he doesn't know what's happened to his own people or the state of the world, but there is a joy that he is able to live in and from that is not dependent upon what's going on in the world around him while he still works to do what he can do through teaching, through meditation, to help shift what's going on in the world and to help heal what's going on in the world. That is something I aspire to. I want to live in a state of joy connected with the spark of the divine within me and no matter what is happening around me, to be able to feel that connection, to feel that aliveness, to feel that wakefulness, that I might be able to see things more clearly. And in seeing things more clearly, be able to bring forth some healing and some insight. I shared with you when we began this series that the goal of this series is to awaken our hearts, that we might do that very thing, that we might see more clearly. And so, as I've said, I think there is a subtle difference, but an important difference between happiness and joy. Happiness, situational, joy, something that we choose. I want to read a piece to you from James, James Barras, the founding teacher of Spirit Rock. He writes that joy comes in many different flavors. For some, it's an energetic radiance. For others, it's a quiet feeling of connection. Think about what joy feels like inside of you. For some, the quality and the experience of joy bubbles forth in such a way, it's as if it just oozes out of the person's eyes and face and smile and energy in almost a palpable way. I know I've been with people who just exude that kind of joy and it's very, very strong and it's beautiful and it awakens some of that in me. I've also been with people whose joy is a bit more quiet, but it's still there and you can still feel it. So when I talk about cultivating this experience of joy, let your definition and your understanding of it be broad. It's not necessarily this happy-go-lucky, everybody goes, oh my God, that person's on fire with joy. It can be a very quiet and yet very real experience that bubbles up from within, from your very soul in which you know that you are connected and a part of something greater. And that something greater nourishes you and nurtures you and feeds you. Joy comes in many different flavors. For some, it's an energetic radiance. For others, it's, it's a quiet feeling of connection. We each have our own way of expressing this joy, of expressing this state of well-being. We do not have to create joy. It is an innate quality already within us, however hidden or dormant it may be. As innocent babies, we all have a natural joy. We all can still squeal with, with delight given the right circumstances. If you ever feel down, if you ever feel like you've lost that, that experience of joy, you can go Google joy and find the most adorable YouTube videos of little babies absolutely in a state of pure delight and joy. And I challenge you, I dare you, to not be captivated by it. How many of you have ever done that? How many of you have ever seen some of these I'm talking about, right? 
And that's not a manufactured thing. It's a natural thing. It's natural for us to feel joy and in the feeling of joy to be more alive. Jesus said, I came that you should have life and struggle through every bit of it. <laughs> no, you didn't say that? <laughs> I came that you should have life and ram it down everyone's throat to believe like I do. I came that you should have life and have it abundantly. You know, abundantly. Do you think he was talking about stuff? Do you think he was talking about stuff? He wasn't talking about stuff. He wasn't talking about stuff. An abundant life is a full life. It's a joyful life. It's a life of wholeness, a life of aliveness, a life of connection. In Pema Chodron's book, The Places That Scare You, as she writes about this idea of awakening joy, she suggests joy comes from a growing appreciation of our basic goodness. Joy comes from a growing appreciation of our basic goodness. I'm gonna say it again and I'm gonna ask you to say it with me. Joy comes from a growing appreciation of our basic goodness. Say that with me. Joy comes from a growing appreciation of our basic goodness. Close your eyes for a moment and place your hand on your heart. And just quietly say these words to and about yourself. Joy comes from my growing appreciation of my basic goodness. Joy comes from a growing appreciation of my basic goodness. So there's a balancing in this, this idea of a growing appreciation of our basic goodness. You know, there's a connection between mindfulness and appreciation. It is far easier to move into an experience of appreciation when we are mindfully present in this moment. I was listening to a TED talk, I think it was on the NPR radio hour yesterday, um, and a, a Buddhist mindfulness teacher was talking about how it's been researched that about 47% of what we think is not at all connected with the present moment. That 40% of the time, we are either thinking about something that has happened or are thinking about something that will happen or that we don't want to have happen, but that we are not, for the rest of that time, for what, 53%, we are not mindfully present. And that most of the time, that 47%, of where our mind is going, is going to something that is not pleasant. If those numbers are anywhere accurate, would you not agree that's an awful lot of your life to be spending in a place of lack of appreciation, of general discontent or general dissatisfaction? And then he went on to, to teach, and I agree, that as we cultivate the ability to be 
much more present, mindfully aware in this moment, we will also be building the capacity for appreciation. We will build the capacity to not let go unnoticed the things in our lives that we appreciate and that we feel joyful about. So the practice is a very, I think, a very, very important practice. In the book, I want to go back to one more thought before I do the four stages of, of practice here. Um, joy comes from a growing appreciation of our basic goodness. So a very, another key point here is the emphasis on the idea of basic goodness. Does that sound familiar to one of our five fundamental principles in unity? It should, because one of our fundamental principles or tenets in unity, and we, they can all be boiled down to five really, but one of them is that we believe in the inherent goodness in every single person. That means you. Touch yourself, that means you. Don't touch the person next to you, but it means them. It means your ex. It means the person who won't let you in on the freeway. It means the one who gives you a less than supportive hand gesture because they don't like the way you're driving. Some of you are still with me. The inherent divinity, the inherent goodness, the basic goodness in every single person. We say that we are made in the image and after the likeness of God, by whatever name we call God, that there is something of that one presence and that one power that is a part of every single person, every sentient being on the planet. We struggle with that sometimes. We struggle with that sometimes. How many of you do believe that we are basically good, that there is a basic goodness in humanity. How many of you believe that about yourself? Let's start there. Raise your hand. Do you believe that about yourself? Okay. Now think of somebody that you love, that you like, your child, your spouse, your partner. Do you believe that they are basically good? Raise your hand. All righty. Good. Now I want you to think about somebody that you're challenged by. Remember last week, we added to our repertoire of vocabulary that those difficult people in our lives we sometimes call sandpaper to our soul. And remember, what was the one I taught you last week from one of the stories in the book? Thank you, the Bengali tea boy, right? Okay, so think of your sandpaper to soul person or your Bengali tea, bag, Bengali tea boy person. Think about the person who pushes your button. Everybody got one? Okay, breathe. Question, are they basically good? Raise your hand if you think they're basically good. Okay, the hands are not going up as fast. <laughs> they're going up not as high and not as many are going up. That's okay, I, I'm all for honesty and some of us need a little, okay. Now I want you to really go out there. I want you to go out there to the other. I want you to go out there to the isms. We're living in a time where we've got far too many isms that we're focusing too much on what separates us and what's different at the periphery. But I really want you to go out there. Do you still believe, do you still believe that even those other, 
that even those isms, that within them, separating behavior, we are not talking about behavior, we are talking about the essence on a soul level, basically good. Raise your hand if you still believe that. Wow, good. You actually did better than first service. <laughs> Shh, don't tell them that. I shouldn't do that, and I know that. <laughs> but as a minister, as a minister, when I asked that question and I saw the response in the room, I, I had a mixture of feelings. I had, number one, true appreciation for the fact, for, for the expression of authenticity. Because it's important that we are authentic and that we understand where we are in that series of questions that I just asked you. Because we, we can't improve or grow if we will not acknowledge where we are and where we begin to feel truly stuck. So I appreciated that, but I also felt some sadness around that and some concern. Um, you know, our unity teaching is a beautiful and important teaching. Meta the metaphysical teaching, the new thought teaching, can do so much to begin to really heal our world by working at the root of problems, which really is consciousness and this belief in separation. And I know it's hard work. I know it's hard work. But either we really do believe that the spark of the divine is present in every single being, or we don't. And if we don't, I believe that we have work to do to help heal or shift that belief. Emphasis on the, work, on the word work and the word heal. So how does this tie in to this idea of expanding and cultivating joy in ever-expanding circles? One of the things that I enjoy about Buddhism is very much like we teach in unity. We start with the individual, but we don't end there. So we do our own individual work and growth, but we also realize that we need to begin to stretch and move out into ever-widening circles, that we really do need the Bengali tea boys in our life and the sandpaper, the soul people in our lives, so that we can grow and, and evolve as spiritual beings. And so this practice of cultivating and expanding joy and expanding appreciation and under, understanding around everyone's basic inherent goodness begins first with ourselves. And so the first stage of doing this is learning to recognize and rejoice in our own good fortune, in our own good blessings. And I told you a few minutes ago that one key practice to help do that is the practice of mindfulness. That while we are mindfully present and training ourselves to be right here, aware of whatever it is that we are doing, we will find that we can naturally feel appreciation and joy. So when you're doing a mundane, routine kind of task that you don't necessarily like and you let your mind wander in all these other directions, begin to pull it back into the very experience of what you are doing and begin to invite yourself to look for or be aware of one delightful piece in that, whatever that may be whatever that may be. So the first stage is the idea of recognizing and rejoicing in our own good fortune so that the good things that are there, we're aware of because there's so much more good 
in our lives, in my life, in your life, than we are paying attention to. Would you not agree with that? Okay. The second stage that Pema suggests in learning to rejoice is to think of a loved one and appreciate his or her good fortune. So I want you to think about a loved one, your spouse, your partner, your child, your parent, a loved one who's just received some really good news and they're sharing it with you. Maybe their good news is they got a new job or they got a promotion or they won the lottery or they've fallen in love. All things you've been hoping for and treasure mapping for and, and wanting and it hasn't happened to you. Can you share and rejoice in their joy? Can you open your heart and just feel so happy for them? Can you do that? What happens inside of you when you do that? Even though it's not your thing that's happened, it's their good fortune that's happened, but what happens inside of you when you step in and celebrate and rejoice with them? What, does your energy go up and out, or does it do this? Up and out. Do you believe that the universe responds at all to your energetic vibration? Do you? Oh, you got to be much stronger than that. Do you believe that? Okay. Because if you don't, I don't know why you're in unity. I mean, it's the, one of the other core things we teach and believe. So yes. So even when it's not our quote unquote good fortune, the practice of just feeling joy for that person helps us to expand our capacity for joy and to change our own energetic vibrational level. The third stage, by now you're catching on to this, the third stage is to practice, Pema says, is to practice with those, I love how she introduces yet another concept. So we, mine that I introduce is Sandpaper to the Soul, Bengali Tea Boy. Here's a new one she introduces. We practice with those less dear to us. <laughs> Isn't that great? Say that with me. We practice with those less dear to us. Again, we practice with those less dear to us. Does anybody have someone in their life who is less dear to them? All of us do. We all do. I mean, there are all, we all have people that it's easy for us to just love being with and rejoice in their good fortune and be there to support them when things aren't going well. And we all have people. And sometimes they're people in our family. Have you noticed that sometimes a Bengali tea boy is in your family? And like, there's no way to get rid of the Bengali tea boy. They're just in your family or... Never mind, that's a whole other lesson we'll do another time. But we practice with those less dear to us, inviting ourselves to expand our capacity to rejoice in their good fortune. She says, our ability to appreciate and rejoice in their good fortune is frequently blocked by envy or other emotions. Think about that for a moment. Why is it difficult for us sometimes? I think we have to admit I know I sometimes have difficulty feeling the same amount of joy with, when somebody else has something really great happen in their life and that someone else is someone that I find particularly challenging. I notice that it's not as easy when my bestest friends have something great happen in their life. It's as if it happened to me. I am so happy for them. But I have to practice feeling that kind of energy when someone that my ego might want to say doesn't deserve it, 
Does that ever happen to you? Or that sour grapes, or that feeling of, they don't really deserve it, or I wonder if they really got it fairly, or, well, it's just because of, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what, but, but the willingness to pay attention to the story. This is another place where we get to grow, to when we notice that we are shutting down, when we notice that it's extremely difficult for us to, to feel that same joy, will we be spiritually rigorous enough and spiritually courageous enough to ask some deeper questions of ourselves? Why is this so difficult for me? What is it that I am telling myself? It could be that there, it's triggering a feeling of lack right? They got something, they're doing great, I'm struggling, I feel like I'm working as hard, but it's not showing up in my life in the same way. What's beneath that could be, would you not agree? What's beneath that could be a feeling of lack. So being willing to pause, being willing to notice when we shut down our capacity to feel joy for another, to ask why. And the beauty of that is we will be peeling back some of our own layers of our own stuff that we can work through. And when we work through, we're done with it. We're done with it. And we free ourselves up to move forward. And the last stage is practicing with really difficult people. So remember we talked last week, you don't start with the most challenging person. So if you find it even difficult to step into a joyful response when a loved one is having great good fortune and you notice that you begin to shut down or you begin to tell yourself a story, then start there. Your soul knows that there are these other levels. Start with what's up for you. And as you learn to, and as I learn to get better with whatever circle I'm currently working in or whatever stage I'm currently working in, then I'm building the muscle and the, the um, spiritual internal strength to go to that next level. And so we know that difficult teachers are necessary, difficult people are necessary in our lives to help propel us to the next level of growth. I want to close with a reading from Pema on this. Difficult people are, as usual, our greatest teachers. Aspiring to rejoice in their good fortune is a good opportunity to investigate our reactions and our strategies. How do we react to their good luck? How do we react to their good health, their good news? With envy? Just notice if that's what comes up. With anger? With fear? What is our strategy for moving away from what we feel? Remember, we tend, we, we often will close down when we're experiencing feelings that we don't like. And what our practice needs to be is to lean into those feelings so we begin to understand what those feelings are, are really about and what's beneath them. Um, so what is our strategy for moving away from what we feel? Revenge, self-denigration, what stories do we tell ourselves? She's a snob, I'm a failure. These reactions, strategies, and storylines are what cocoons and prison walls are made of. So I invite you this week to just Notice when you feel in yourself that bubbling up of joy. Notice that and just allow it to percolate, if you will. 
Notice as well when you hear somebody else or you experience someone else in their own state of joy. Try to enter into that in whatever way you can and let that be an opportunity for you to practice expanding your experience of joy. And as you do, begin to notice how that feels in you. Because I tell you, living in a state of joy is a very nice state to be living in, much nicer than living in a state of doom and gloom. And guess what? They are both choices, and guess who's making them all of the time? Point to yourself because we are making them all of the time. Namaste and God bless. Thanks for listening. Sunday services at 9 and 11 a.m. Inclusivity. It's worth the drive. Subscribe to our podcasts and download our free app for instant access to a wealth of spiritual teachings, services, and events.